do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code S-T-A-P-L-E-2-0. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. Welcome to Nightmare Alley, the spooky little side street podcast in the regular Nightmare on Film Street feed. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we're on the road right now. We, uh... George are in an RV with dogs. They're, <laughs> they're tearing the place apart. They're, they're sn- being so polite. They're snoring in the background. They're chewing on bones. They're driving us. They're farting. They're driving <laughs> us nuts. Ow! And that's how I'm we're getting bit right now. <laughs> and that's how we're celebrating the Halloween season. Uh, we're we're on the road right now to go to a wedding, um, but. We just wanted to jump in here real quick to let you know that we are talking with Joseph and Vanessa Winter this week about their new movie, Deadstream. It's coming to Shudder next week, and we think you're going to love it. Yeah, Deadstream is a super fun, found footage style horror movie, Uh, so you know we liked it. Paranormal Edge, it's um, One Night in a Haunted House kind of story. Right, oh man, and shot in a, well you'll find out, shot in a real haunted house. It's pretty fun. Um, you're, this one has something for everybody. It's horror comedy, but it also has some killer special effects and some pretty spooky stuff. So I think this one's going to go down with all kinds of horror fans. Yeah, we, we talked with Joseph and Vanessa, the writers and directors. Joseph also stars in the movie. He's the lead. Uh, he plays like a disgraced Twitch streamer who's spending a night in a haunted house. Uh, to sort of regain, to gain back his audience. We talked with them back at South by Southwest uh, for the world premiere of their movie. And we've been, we've been sitting on this interview since then. We just like, we saw it and we're like, oh, this is amazing. This movie is incredible. I can't, like, we don't even know at the time. We had no idea when the movie was going to come out. We're like, we need to talk to you right now so we can bank this interview for later. Cause this movie is so much goddamn fun, guys. Yeah. It's, it's actually been a while since we've seen it. So we're definitely gonna be watching it when it premieres. I'm really excited to watch it again. Yeah, it hits Shutter next week, October 6th, specifically. But uh, either way, we're going to toss you over to the trailer right now, and then we'll be back with Joseph and Vanessa Winner. This is Sean Ruddy coming to you live from Death Manor. For seven years now, you have watched me face my fears for your entertainment. There is one fear that I haven't yet faced. I will be spending one night alone in a haunted house. Don't forget to smash that like button, smash that subscribe button, and follow me on Livid. This is the most haunted house in the United States. 
Death Manor was built in 1880. Mildred lived here for eight years in this house. She hung herself at the end of this hall. Tonight, we're going to be monitoring three rooms, all of which have actual documented paranormal activity. I hope you all appreciate the public service I'm doing by being here. Are you still with what's-her-name? No, shh, we're here. Oh, come on, that doesn't even look real. I'm not falling for this Photoshop hack job. her journal Mildred is collecting souls to create the family she could never have in mind Thanks so much for doing this, guys. We really appreciate it. Dude, thank you. We're excited. Cool. Love your podcast. Oh, oh thank, thank you. you. We're really excited to we're really excited to talk to you about your movie Deadstream. It's it's a blast. Oh, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. So tell yeah, us we're pumped. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Where do you guys come from? Where did you where did you meet? Because you're a directing duo. Yeah, we met in film school. Um, we actually worked in, on a student film in an art department together. I remember somebody on set accused us after we had only been working together for a week of arguing like an old married couple. <laughs> and so that was kind of a prophecy. Yeah, that was and it, that's... it was weird at the time, but now I can see it. But it was like it was so this was probably 13 years ago. She was the production designer of a student film and she just came up to me. She didn't know me. Um, and she said, hey, will you be the art director on this film? And I was like, I've never done that, but yeah. And I found out it's because everybody said no. So she just came up <laughs> to me randomly. But when we started working together, she was so cool. I remember just thinking like, oh, I want her to be friends with me so bad. I want her to think I'm cool. And for whatever reason, over time, she started to think I was cool. And then we found ourselves dating for a while. But anyway... My point is we started off our relationship in a really the most stressful situation I can think of is anything related to film. And we've just been making films ever since. So our relationship just started off in that high stress environment. And so we've just felt comfortable continuing that all the way through now. Yeah, it's almost like we don't know our relationship outside of film. Yeah. So yeah, people ask all the time, how can you work that closely with your wife? Like that must be hard. But I just, we don't know anything else. That's so cool. I, we're kind of the same way. We're, we're also married. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great because if you just decide that you want to work like 24 hours a day and the other person also wants to, then like no one ends up fighting about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny how, yeah, I, I don't know. Having the same obsession can really be nice. Yeah. You don't have to make excuses. <laughs> That's exactly so it. true. And have you guys always gravitated toward horror? Yeah, for me, um, I mean, as long as I can remember, as long as I've been able to express myself as a toddler, even I was 
already in love with Halloween. All of my birthday parties were Halloween birthday parties, even though I wasn't born in October. <laughs> um, and, and then when I was, for whatever reason, my dad would just let me watch more adult horror films um, as a little kid. I mean, one year I got Army of Darkness on VHS from Santa Claus. Right it was on. in my stocking. And that was, it's, I just watched these movies with my dad. And so they've always been part of my life. And as long as I've wanted to be a filmmaker, it was always a horror filmmaker. I just knew that that's what it was. Just everything about horror and Halloween. It just feels like, it just feels like that is part of who I am. Yeah, it really feels like Halloween's the jumping off point for most people. Like pe people ask me all the time like what what's the first horror movie you saw that you liked and I have no idea, but like I do vividly remember being obsessed with Halloween every yeah. year. Yeah. Same for me. Lo loved Halloween. Always had to be something really scary. I think from like 3 or 4 I always told my mom, whatever I am, it has to be scary. Um yeah, uh, I I think my first memory is probably the Beetlejuice cartoon. Did you oh guys watch yeah, that's so yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was my first introduction to the bizarre. Like I can't otherwise, I don't have a definitive memory of like the first horror movie. You know? Yeah, I love that Beetlejuice cartoon. It's hard to come by. I keep looking around for it. I mean, I, I'm sure I could pay eighty dollars for like a DVD of it, but I just don't want to. <laughs> that's what we had to that's, do eventually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we're gonna pull the trigger one day. I'm just waiting. <laughs> So tell us, like, how do you guys, I mean, it's probably a little simpler on something like Deadstream where, uh, you know, one of you is is on screen most of the time. But how do you, like, in the previous shorts that you made and, and in anything at film school, like, how do you guys divide tasks and roles on set? I think a lot of it is project dependent. So we try to do a lot of preparation so that we're on the same page. We try to get out most of our arguing <laughs> in private, but then some of it, obviously... <laughs> Uh, spills over on the set. Um, but I think it's, I think it comes down, I mean, with low budget filmmaking, it comes down to necessity. So if we ever really do divide, it's, it's because we need to juggle multiple things at once, but I don't know that we always go in certain directions. Yeah. We don't have any, that. we don't have any assigned roles necessarily, but our brains work a bit differently, but in a really complementary way where, for example, in the screenwriting process, I look to Vanessa for the structure. She's really intuitive with structure and has like read more about it and can keep us kind of like, this is what it needs to be versus, um, she accuses me sometimes I'll pitch her a new idea and she'll say, that's not a story, that's a feeling. And I'll be, okay, 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 you're right. But she she's really good at taking what I'm trying to describe in like tone or just random dialogue and starting to form more of a story around it. And it's the same thing with um, approaching a scene. She's able to take the idea and start putting the logistics to it and figuring out how you would practically pull this off and what that should be like. So I lean on her a lot for that. And then I feel like one of my strengths, no, you know what, you, t you I'm not gonna talk about my strengths, that's silly. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I think we I, probably in the places we divide the most is, I mean, Joseph wrote the music for Deadstream and he's also done on a lot of our shorts, done the sound design. So he's very tuned in with audio. Um, I think he's got a real gift for simplicity, like sometimes all overcomplicate things. I love genre bending and mythologies. And so 
I can get a little overambitious sometimes and Joseph can bring it back to just the heart of the story. He's also more spontaneous. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. We'll be, we'll have riffed off a joke for months and then on set, it's like, he'll find the next piece. Like whatever it is we were trying to solve, just all of a sudden last take, Joseph's throwing out something new and it's awesome. And I'm a little bit more visual. So I tend to get a little pickier over camera stuff. It is really interesting to hear both of you actually say like, oh, I have all these wild and crazy ideas, but this the, the this person slaps them down for me and <laughs> brings me back to reality. That's the kind of- Yeah, the, the key though is we just try really hard not to have that be in public, but it does happen from time to time. <laughs> but those are the kind of criticisms that you can only make in a marriage. So it does actually really work out for film because yeah, you can be completely honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes we've been like, is it just super awkward because- we're married and bickering over these choices. <laughs> but then I think maybe it actually gives us license to fight more in front of people. They're like, oh, they're just married. It's fine. <laughs> you guys were talking about how um, like methodical you are with your planning. And with Deadstream, it has to look completely opposite. Like it has to look so fluid and candid and in the moment. How did you guys navigate that? Because you have like a multi-camera setup. You have so much going on. And it looks like it's happening live. Um. Yeah, it was so difficult. <laughs> we, we learned really quickly whatever time we thought we'd be saving with the found footage idea and the long monologues ended up just being so much work to get them right. Any of the long shots with just a lot of talking or a lot of POVs around the house, all of that stuff, we ended up just carefully planning and we refilmed a lot of a lot of talking just to make it faster and Poor Joseph. It was something that like, I, I mean, it was planned down to like where he was going to say something at every like spot in the room. So not only was he memorizing all of that stuff, but he was like hitting all of these marks and operating the camera with his head. Um, (laughs) So yeah, we tried, (laughs) we went, yeah, we tried really hard to make it seem effortless or spontaneous. But it was the opposite. So I actually, I actually have the position that making a movie like this was harder than if we had just made properly filmed movie um, because we could shoot around things if that were the case. But in our case, we couldn't and everything had to cut from one thing to the other and spatially in the exact same place. And the technology using action cams, they're just not made for that. Um, Like for making a feature, they would cut all the time, just in the middle of a take. There wasn't feed. The playback hardly ever worked. And that was making it so that we just had to do things over and over and over again that we wouldn't have had to do if it was just a properly made movie. Um, And I I think the key, though, to pulling it off was that we took so much time rehearsing while the house was being set. We would go in there during the day and just walk through it. And we'd, we actually filmed almost the entire movie and edited it before we actually got to set for the first time to shoot it for real. We called it wow. Daystream. And <laughs> it was all during the day. And it was, it was so bad. Like We realized that him walking through the house, talking to the camera is not inherently interesting. <laughs> so we, we really had to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite until we got it to where it felt like, okay, this kind of sounds like he's really engaging with people. It's good enough. Let's just, let's just go for it. So, um, and there were a few reshoots here and there, like spread out on weekends over six months to finally get it to feel right. 
Wow, it, it seems like it was a blessing that you were that you at least thought to go in there during the day to to basically shoot the movie already because it that was her. Yeah, I I great, was procrastinating it so much. I didn't want to actually face like, can I actually pull this off as an actor? So I was just like, no, I don't think we have time to rehearse. We have too much producer stuff to do. Yeah. But she was like, no, we have to. So I, I credit her with I, that. I was terrified because that that face angle yeah. is just, I mean, there's people that use it, but I've never seen it used as much as we used it. And so I was just very, yeah, I was terrified about cutting it together with the action and just making sure it would be exciting. So yeah, I really, I was very abrasive with Joseph and the DP <laughs> about forcing everybody to go through these really intense blocking days. But, the, but I just, I needed it as a director so I could just even see this movie, like feel the pacing when you're like just cutting from a super close, low angle of somebody's <laughs> face to just like their POV. You guys were talking about the monologuing at the beginning, and um, that seems to be the biggest criticism for people who don't like found footage. That's not us, but yeah. <laughs> is we, we that love, we love a good found footage monologue? Is, oh yes, like the, <laughs> the beginning is is rather slow, and it has to build, and and you have to create the lore. And you guys do something so smart in that while you're telling the story, you're cutting to so many different multimedia things, like you have clips of previous ghost hunters and auditory stuff, and it makes it so engaging. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think that just came from us uh, legitimately being trying to get in that headspace. If we were doing a live stream, how would we want to tell ghost stories? And we love telling ghost stories. It's a big pastime. We've organized little get togethers with our friends where we make up ghost stories and we're very cheesy and, and like that. So this, this idea of like, Oh, if we were going to take somebody through this old house and, and spin some tales, how would we do it? Yeah, and that's also, yeah, and, and a lot of this was like trying to make listening to some guy talk nonstop as interesting as possible. And so the, the idea of him playing a, a score while he's walking through the house, like anything to cheat and make it more like a traditional movie, but have it make sense yeah. in our universe. It was like anything like that we wanted to put in there to help it along because there was a lot of ground to cover between when he starts and when the first ghost thing actually happens. So we just needed to fill it with cutaways or or music as much as we possibly could get away with. Oh, that score. I Genius. Oh my God. Like found, oh, thank you. <laughs> found footage brilliance. No one, oh. I, I haven't seen a single found footage movie ever that has justified using a score. Uh, and you and see it and you're like, so they found this and then they scored it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like here's, Thank so, here's, you. so that yeah. So no, go ahead. That's sorry. actually the the fact. But honestly, um, thank you. That means a lot to me because writing a score for a film was on my bucket list my whole life. But I also knew realistically that's never going to happen. There's not going to be a proper movie made where. I'm the guy to go to, to write the score because that's not my main focus. But with this, there was this opportunity because it's Sean that wrote it. So if the music isn't great, that's <laughs> not me. That's the character that made it. So it was like, it was perfect. So I got to check that off my bucket list and I'm so happy about that. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high quality favorite feels great but having a whole closet full of them feels even better. 
American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything you need for your spring days. From premium t-shirts and jeans to lightweight French terry joggers and their legendary best hoodie ever. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, you're sure to find your next closet go-to from American Giant. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Get 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's American-Giant.com, code staple two zero. And it works so well for his character, too, because he's so smarmy that, like, when he turns it on in those moments where it's, like, really inappropriate, you're just like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it was also funny justifying it to the sound design team. Oh, yeah. um, we had some, our, our sound designers are really talented guys, but <laughs> Joseph was all, always had this vision of the music sounding, starting out sounding kind of crappy, just very realistic, like it's coming from a tape player, but then for it to just get more and more cinematic as as it goes and i remember seeing on the sound guys is the sound mixers faces like this kind of look like okay but like, <laughs> we're probably not gonna do that you know, they really wanted it to have fidelity um but joseph your your vision won yeah i mean okay. i don't know if it worked but it won is <laughs> in that's what's in the movie <laughs> No, it's it's all of those little ideas that you guys fought for that like make it unique. It's it's a it's a great move, and it's so the thing about found footage that I love is that every single found footage movie, it's kind of like it has to like justify why it has the cameras rolling, and that that kind of comes in your monologue. But it's almost like every single found footage movie has a responsibility to one up the genre. Like you have to contribute something to it. So even if it's just, this is the movie that introduced the most, you know, ingenious score, like you've done it. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) But I mean, obviously Deadstream has, has so much more to offer and uh, including way more monsters than we'd ever expected there would be. Like I was expecting this to be like a real uh, sort of like restricted Blair Witch Project style thing where you see stuff poking around the corners but you guys are like putting your monsters right in front of the camera that had to be also super stressful i assume yeah yeah that was that ended up being really stressful but there early on so when we when we first had the idea the idea was just me in a haunted house this was a do-it-yourself project we could go we could literally go out by ourselves and shoot this movie where it's a camera pointed at my face live stream in a haunted house it never cuts you hear ghosts around him but you never actually see it and it's all one take and Vanessa was like that's a bad idea that's not a good movie I was like okay you're right I'm sorry and then she brought it up days later and was like what if we introduce more cameras and made it more like justify a more cinematic experience and then all of a sudden there was an exploding head I I don't remember where that came from but there was just an exploding head and then instantly we're like that is the movie we want to see now we have a movie yeah Yeah, now we have a movie I really do think it was the exploding head where I was like oh yeah I think that was like from the beginning just got really exciting I think the idea of trying to do something, uh, well, having just creatures that you show a lot in a found footage movie and also just on these weird angles where they're just really up in the actor's face, um, it seemed like a fun challenge. And I mean, luckily for us, our makeup artist and creature effects guy were just amazing and up for the challenge. But it was a really big challenge because the headlight, I mean, it's just it's just such brutal lighting to light your creatures with a headlamp and have them really close. And so I think at some point we made a decision to just really embrace their personality 
and the edges and just kind of hoped. I mean, that was something that we just kept trying to earn in the script phase is that the audience would just kind of welcome these wacky creatures into the movie and not just reject them because we were doing a live stream, (laughs) something that was too naturalistic for that world. So yeah, I'm glad it's working for some people. Yeah. And that was just, that was a a really fun process for me. And we, we knew we were taking huge swings with very little resources. And so we just wanted to have the tone justify being able to see the seams. Sometimes we thought let's do whatever it takes to get cool creatures. But even if our budget would make it so that you can tell that they're not necessarily real. Sometimes it would be a fun enough experience that you wouldn't care. You would just think it was cool that they were there. And honestly, even being okay with that, we ended up, Troy, our creature guy, delivered us these amazing creatures. I was just blown away that our little movie had some of these amazing pieces of art. And yeah, I think that there actually isn't a lot of what I thought there would be with being able to see the edges of things or you know, any like kind of campiness I was expecting just, I, we just got so much more than that from Troy. That's so awesome. And so the, like the inception of the creatures, they seem to fit the house so well. Did you guys kind of create them for the space that you ended up in or, or did it just work out magically? Um, we got pretty lucky with the house. Uh, one thing about, I mean, obviously just because it's so beat to hell and amazing looking. So there's that aspect, but also, uh, the wallpaper was really colorful and all of the tagging was really colorful. And I, I hadn't, when we were writing the script, I didn't imagine that much color in the movie, but I think that, and I don't know if that's a really good question to ask our creature designer, if it ended up inspired, we were sending him pictures of location, Um, But his creatures did have a lot of color, too. He really embraced like blues and purples and kind of like marbly skin. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to undercut from any of Troy's uh, master plan, if that was part of his master plan. But I feel like we got really lucky with the character of that house. Yeah, I think that that part of it was kind of a happy accident that they complemented each other so well, because I feel like Troy was pretty deep in the process of making the creatures. But It's one of those things where the ingredients that came together really surprised us. Like that house, by the way, what a what a great find. I mean, that was something we had written it for a big dilapidated house in the middle of nowhere. And the fact that we actually found a big dilapidated house literally in the middle of nowhere, only 30 minutes from our house is it was like a little miracle. And then The fact that the owners let us actually shoot there is another mini miracle because when we were inquiring about the house on Facebook and asking people who knows the owners, everyone's like, oh, they will never let you shoot there. They'll never let you shoot there. They hate people. (laughs) Somehow they were totally cool and accommodated us. And I feel, I mean, that's like that and the creatures is production value that our movie really couldn't justify, but it's there. I mean, I'm just so grateful that we got those two elements in place. And with found footage, yeah. you can't fake a haunted house because you're yeah. you're shooting the ceiling, you're shooting every four walls like in one shot. So like you need the house. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. That was one thing we weren't really addressing while we were writing the script is we knew that we were backing, we were painting ourselves into a corner that okay, now we actually have to find this kind of house. 
but I knew Utah pretty well. I'm always looking for cool haunted house stuff. And I, I was, this doesn't exist. And so we, I was just like, okay, we'll cross that bridge when we get there and the horror gods will bless us. And that's actually what happened. So did I read in the press kit that the house is actually haunted? Is that true? Yes. It's notoriously, the local lore is wild about that house. You're going to have to it, share some. Yeah, give us a ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, well... So about half the crew was convinced that it was haunted and there was two rooms specifically that people didn't enjoy being in alone. Um, and then, but I think, I think the funniest part or the most enjoyable part was <laughs> we had, we had a contractor come and secure some of the walls in the house. And he was just this, this huge burly dude. He was just standing on the second floor when we were doing a walkthrough and he was looking at the bathroom window and he's like, when I was a teenager, I broke in here and I saw a woman standing at that window. And he was <laughs> dead serious. He was, he for was real. dead serious. He was scared. <laughs> and, oh my God. And that's the thing is, is like so many teenagers break into that house, like literally every night because of that reason. And, um, and I was just, I knew about that, but when we were filming the fact that so many crew members who didn't really know about that were saying things like, if it's okay, I really don't want to be in that room anymore. And I was like, what? Are you serious? They're like, I just feel there's something there. And it was people who didn't know that like other people were having that experience. Wow. And it was, it came down to two specific rooms. In the movie, it's uh, the bathroom and the master bedroom. And those were the rooms <laughs> that really spooked people. I have to tell one more story. Yeah, yes. please. So yeah. our, our, produ our co-producer, Jared Cook, was um, in charge of the security or kind of itself appointed himself okay. to be in charge of, because it was just a huge problem with people breaking in and messing up our set. Wow. So one, one night the alarms went off and a cop was called to the premise. And then Jared, who lived probably 25 minutes away, drove out. And when he got there, the cop hadn't gotten out of his car. And so he was like, what? he went and talked to the, to the cop and the cop was like, to be honest, I was too scared to go in until somebody else got here. And it wasn't because of the vandals. It was because of the ghosts. Yeah, no, because he grew up in the area and he knew the house was haunted. So he was just sitting in his car until Jared got there. Wow. Wow. Well, it sounds like if you want to keep, well, anybody other than teenagers out, you just have to pretend your house is haunted. <laughs> which, which sucks. That's the one demographic you want to keep. <laughs> so people were breaking into the set like overnight while you were shooting. Yeah. That's crazy. No, it was it was a uh, literally every night we had this Jared had set this thing up where he could manually trigger sirens or lights. Smart. And that was usually all he had to do, but um some nights that wasn't enough and they would just they would just break through the windows and start trashing the set and he'd have to race over there with the cops trying to keep the whole thing from getting ruined. But yeah, that was a really really big challenge. Also, in order to have security there, so the, the house is off the grid. It's been abandoned since 1944, I wow. think. So there's no, when we called to get the power turned on there, there wasn't anything there. They were like, <laughs> there's no record of this. this is out in the middle of nowhere. It's literally a pioneer house there. It's not on the grid. So we had to figure out how to get power there. And not only that, Jared had to figure out how to get Wi-Fi there. So like that was wild trying to do all that stuff. And Jared gets huge props for doing that. And also he had the, all the, the camera tech on his shoulders. He had like, uh, Jared was also the DP. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he's a, 
he's genius. he's a genius. <laughs> I, I gotta assume you're also not leaving. That's gotta suck. You're not leaving any equipment in there overnight, were you? No. So he fuck. took that home every single night, and it was a lot of stuff. I bet. I'm I'm really glad you brought him up though, because uh, I wanted to ask about the cooks because their names like there's like I don't know a hundred cooks in the credits of this movie. <laughs> Tell us about the cooks. <laughs> Well, Jared is someone that we also met at school. And until this movie, he had zero interest in horror. He gets scared easily watching horror movies, but he really liked the script. So he jumped on board and for whatever reason, convinced all of his family and extended family. I mean, there's names in there that's still his family that's not cooked. He convinced everybody that they should jump in somehow and support this little horror movie. And no one in his family or extended family likes or appreciates horror in any way. <laughs> but we just got so lucky that this family was just so supportive of this movie. Didn't they, yeah. ca they catered it They're too, awesome. right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, his wife, his wife and mother-in-law were making our meals for the first, the first seven days of production. Mm, the that homemade lasagna really <laughs> hit on, on the fourth day. <laughs> yeah the cooks are awesome yeah everybody deserves to have some cooks on their movie <laughs> literal cooks <laughs> that's so great it's like it, it's like the amish coming together to, to raise a barn but instead it's just this creepy movie that that, <laughs> that none of them enjoy or I, I assume they enjoy it but like none of them would have uh, you know accepted it at face value <laughs> oh yeah absolutely they I'm honestly surprised. They've all seen it and they all really love it. And oh, that surprised great. Jared. Jared had the, he was like worried about at the end of this, we'll have to show them something. <laughs> and, and like he was, he was really nervous that his parents would have to see it, but they were also supporting it so much, but everybody just really loved it. I think they were just really proud knowing how much work Jared had put into the movie. So they were able to like appreciate it for what it was. That's so great. I love that he was afraid of, of scary stuff and horror and he appointed himself head of security and was driving out there to in the, the middle haunted of the house. <laughs> <laughs> so not only that, he was one of the people that was feeling something in the house. Yeah. So this is how brave he actually is. He would go in to like reset an alarm or whatever in the middle of the night. And he would have experiences like locking up the door. He would feel these fingers tickling the back of his neck, or he'd feel like a face that felt like it was almost breathing on his cheek Good. and like that kind of experience. And he was 100% sincere and telling us this, but yet he was so committed to go out there and do the job every time the alarm went off. Wow. Bless that guy. Yeah, I think it gave him a sleeping disorder. <laughs> No, it legitimately did. <laughs> this is this this is an interesting house that you guys should have somebody go back or or I mean hey as promo for the movie you should go back out there and do actual ghost hunting cuz my like from what I've gathered like most ghost sightings are like either sleep paralysis or mild electrocution it seems to be like there's just like old houses have bad electricity and it creates a wave or whatever I don't know but there's no <laughs> electricity at this house so maybe maybe it's actually haunted uh, I'm not paranormally sensitive, yeah. <laughs> so but maybe if I took some electricity and uh, electrocuted myself a little bit, then you would feel it. Yeah, but I, if I did see something, I would not be going to the house by myself. So props to Jared. Way to go, Jared. So this, I, I feel very bad. We should have we should have mentioned this up top. I'm usually I'm usually good about mentioning this up top, but we like we like to close interviews by asking people what their dream double feature would be at the drive-in. 
Uh, so I'm sorry for giving you zero notice on that, but if you, like, what's your dream double feature at the drive-in? If you could play any two movies, what would you play? And it could be movies like related to Deadstream or that inspired you to make it, or just two movies that you'd love to see at the drive-in. So, Talking about this a little bit, but it was a, it was in regards to what would play well with Deadstream. Yeah. And the the movie that we settled on is House. Yeah. Yes. We think that House would play well with Deadstream, but mm-hmm. also. Man, we'd really like to see Big Trouble in Little China grouped with with something that just came up a lot while we were talking about the tone. I think we also had Dark Star and Night of the Comet on there at some point. Oh, okay. rad. Right so, on. We escaped four answers. Big, big, yeah, that's fine. It's an all-nighter at the drive-in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, big Carpenter fans by the sounds of it. That's great. Yeah, oh, House yeah. House is a great pick. I can see, I can see similarities between the monsters in House and, and your monsters. Yeah, no, thank you for saying that. That's awesome. <laughs> Right on. Rad. Well, happy Halloween, guys. <laughs> happy yeah, Halloween. Thanks. Hey, thanks for having us. Honestly, it was it was a pleasure talking to you. It was yeah, so no. nice to meet you guys. Oh, yeah. yeah. We loved the movie so much. Oh, yeah. Like, had such a blast. Watched it Watched it twice before we did this interview. It's just so <laughs> much fun. Well, thank you so much for saying that. Thank you so much to Joseph and Vanessa for chatting with us uh, here for the Nightmare on Film Street podcast. Check out Deadstream when it lands on Shudder on October 6th, and let us know your thoughts on the film over on our Discord server at nofspodcast.com slash discord, or anywhere you want to on social media. We're at Nightmare on Film Street on Instagram, at nofspodcast on Twitter, uh, wherever you happen to be. We hope you're watching plenty of spooky movies this season. Uh, don't forget about the uh, don't forget about our 31 day horror challenge, uh, which you can follow along on social media. You can find graphics and info. You can enter the giveaway for the spooky book nook to help keep that Halloween spirit alive. 365. We've got a really cool prize pack that we think you're gonna love, uh, and you can enter over at nofspodcast.com/slash/horror-challenge. We'll be back next week. We're talking about Children of the Corn. We're finally doing it. Uh, But until then, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.